And he is, he is all of that. He is far, far more wonderful than we could ever put together in words. And we could keep singing that song forever and ever. And there will be a day when we will do that very thing. We will be exalting him forever and ever for eternity. And that, uh, that is a pretty cool thought when you think about it. And by the way, it will not be boring. All right? Just so everybody's clear on that. I always get asked that. Not, sometimes I, I get asked that question by, by students uh, when I was doing student ministry. They so in heaven, all we're going to do is just sing? I said, really? We're going to be worshiping, man. We're going to have a great experience of worshiping this all-too-wonderful God, and it's going to be nonstop enjoyable. So, uh, so rest in that truth today. All right, we continue our series on the I Am's in, in John's Gospel. There are seven of them. We're on number two today, and, and I thought it appropriate to bring up some painful memories from my childhood. Since uh, next week is Mother's Day, and I want to thank my mom for being such a great mom, I thought I'd tell a story about my mom today and get a jump on the whole festivities of next week. My mom is maybe five foot one inch tall. She's not a tall lady. She is one of the most kind-hearted, one of the most positive, one of the most enjoyable people I've ever met in my life. She's one of my heroes. I don't have many heroes, but my mom is one of my heroes. She's a phenomenal lady. But she has issues. And one of her issues when I was growing up was what I considered cruel and unusual punishment. My father worked at the graveyard shift, and so he was not he was gone from midnight till 8 a.m. in the morning. And being a, being a child and, and growing up in that household, it was incredibly important to get out of bed in the morning. My mom also worked, and so it was imperative that we would be downstairs dressed and ready to go to school, ready to eat breakfast before she left for work. Sounds like a really decent plan until you realize how cruel my mother was. You can laugh now. It brings up painful memories for me. I would be dead asleep, and then I would hear, we had one particular wooden board in our, in our hallway, and once I heard that, I braced myself for what was about to happen. In a matter of seconds, my mom opened the door and flipped on the light and said, Rise and shine, let's go. An invasion of light unlike any other shattered, peaceful sleep, and I was not a happy camper. There was no discussion about, hey, how was your night's sleep? Hey, what would you like for breakfast? Hey, I really hope you have a great day. It was flip on the light and you better be moving. Because if you're not, when your father gets home, there will be consequences. My mom, all five feet one inch of her, this joyous lady, was nothing but a holy terror early in the morning. That invasion of light impacted my life in such a way that, uh, that I, I still have pain that I'm dealing with every single time I go home to Kansas City. Don't, no, don't mock me. Don't mock me. But when we are in the darkness, and the light comes on, things change. God said this at the very beginning. He said, let there be light. Light was the very first thing that God created, and and because He created light, He was able to then do all these other things that creation followed from. 
And in essence, we almost have a definition of light or, or darkness, perhaps, if, if you want to go that far, in the opening verses of Genesis. And it seems to me that, that darkness is an absence of light. It seems to be a pretty good definition from a biblical standpoint. And, in the, and into that darkness, God brings light. He invades it with light. And throughout Scripture, oftentimes, God's presence is revealed as light. It is referred to as light. God provided a pillar of light for the Israelites as they were leaving Egypt, and, and He was before them, He was behind them, He was moving them forward and protecting them from, their, from, the, from behind. One of the requirements of the priests in the temple was this, was to keep the light burning all the time, to remind God's people that light was there. And one day, a man by the name of Saul was walking towards Damascus, seeking to destroy the, the church and, and its early movements and early growth. And as he was approaching Damascus, a great light blinded him. And Paul says this, Who are you, Lord? There was an acknowledgement that light represented God's presence. And when light comes into the darkness, things change. And into the world in which Christ came, it was a dark, dark place. God's people had not heard from Him for over 400 years. They were wondering if God had forgotten them. They were excited about all these prophecies that they knew from the Old Testament. And, and, and they thought, any time He's going to show up but before. But for four centuries, it was nothing but silence. It was nothing but darkness for them. The leader of the world at that time, or in their particular part of the world, but was a guy by the name of Herod. He was a madman. He was insane. He killed his own children so that he could remain in power. The tax rate, and you've heard me talk about this before, the tax rate at that time was 80%. It was oppressive. Yes, there was peace throughout the Roman Empire, but it was a peace that, that was brought on by intimidation. If you went against the Romans, fine. Just know this. You'll be crucified within days. It was a dark world. And the Jewish leadership at that time was not unified. There were different factions. There were Pharisees. There were scribes. There were Sadducees. There were the Essenes. All these different groups vying for power in the Jewish leadership. And they never really clicked that well. And at times, there would be riots that would erupt. It was into that type of a world, into that type of a dark world, that Jesus Christ came. And we read these words starting in John chapter 8. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him, here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and, I, and where I am going, but you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do, if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. 
In your own law it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself, and my other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, Who is your Father? You do not know me or my Father. Jesus replied, If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put, yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Father, we pray now as we look into your word, look into your word where there's this statement that you make about being the light of the world. Lord, we're thankful that your light invaded the darkness of our world. And we pray now as we look at these words that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes that we may see, open our ears that we may understand, open our minds, open our ears that we may hear, open our minds that we may understand, and open our hearts that we would be transformed from the inside out because you are the light of the world, the one who brings life to all. Holy Spirit, may no one hear anything I say, but may they only hear what it is that you want them to hear. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. These words are significant. They're significant because of the context in which they are found. And and there's this, as we continue looking at this, there's this subtle but necessary connection that we need to make. In this, in this encounter that Jesus Christ has with these people. First, I want you to look at verse 20. It says this, He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts where the place, near, near the place where the offerings were put. That's incredibly important. The reason why is this, is the context of this is, this is a bigger crowd of individuals. In the temple, there were these 13 different places where people would drop their offering towards the back of the, of the temple. And in these different little little places, and they weren't—I guess—they weren't that little. But you d- deposited different offerings. One would be for the temple upkeep. One would be for this. One would be for that. And and others would be for special gifts that they thought that they would need to do. But they were there, and so there's always people coming and going, presenting their offering. The reason why I want you to know this is that this confrontation that Jesus has with the Pharisees, there's a lot of people listening in here. So that's number one. The other thing that that we need to talk about is the connection of a guy by the name of Nicodemus. I invite you to flip a few pages to the left in your Bible and go back to John chapter 3. And in John chapter 3, we have this encounter between Jesus Christ and this Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. And we're only going to look at the first two verses. Listen to what happens here. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God for no one, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Nicodemus. We're introduced to Nicodemus in chapter 3. You'll notice that Nicodemus shows up to meet with Jesus at night. That's incredibly important. Why? Because if Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee, were were to go and talk to Jesus during the day and have this encounter that he has with Jesus... All of Nicodemus's Pharisees, Pharisee buddies would do whatever they could to make Nicodemus's life incredibly difficult. 
Nicodemus goes at night to meet with the one who will proclaim himself to be the light of the world. This is incredibly important because of what happens right before Jesus makes this proclamation. Right before Jesus makes this proclamation in John chapter 8. And John chapter 3, we have this encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus. We're left wondering, well, what happened to Nicodemus? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all genius, great storytellers. They do an incredible job of telling the story of Jesus Christ and the impact that he makes in people's lives. And so we're left at the end of John chapter 3 wondering, hey, what happened to Nicodemus? Well, what's great is that Nicodemus comes up again just a few chapters later. Go to chapter 7. As you go to chapter 7, there's a feast going on, there's a festival going on in the temple at this time. It's called the Festival of Tabernacles. There are four different festivals that the Jewish people celebrated every single year. And during this particular experience that Jesus makes his proclamation that he is the light of the world, the Festival of Tabernacles is happening. And on the first night, after the first day, so the evening of the first day, there are these four humongous candelabras. I can't describe them very well, but they are magnificent in their breadth and in the amount of light they produce. As evening dawns, those candelabras in that temple area where everybody is milling around and doing all these different things, those four candelabras are lit up. The brightness of the light is so extensive that it was said that every courtyard in Jerusalem was touched by the light coming from the temple. Everybody's there. Everybody's having a great experience. Everybody's celebrating. And Jesus shows up in the middle of this festival and he causes quite a stir. Look what happens in John chapter 7, starting at verse 45. Now remember, we met Nicodemus back in chapter 3. We don't know what happened to Nicodemus back in in chapter 3. And now we come to find this out. Verse 45. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? They're wanting Jesus now. Jesus showed up at this festival. They want him now. They had strict order, They had given strict orders, you bring him in because we're done with this guy. Verse 46. No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. Verse 47, you mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. And notice this next question, have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Notice verse 50, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? Boom. Nicodemus shows up again. And notice what Nicodemus says. He says, friends, you're out of line. The question was this, the Pharisees ask, has any Pharisee come to believe and trust in this Jesus? 
And all of a sudden, John interjects Nicodemus saying, you know what? He did. He defends Jesus Christ. And so he says, has anyone ever, has our law, has anyone ever allowed, has anybody ever talked to him? Has anyone, does our law allow us to condemn a man without first hearing from him? In essence, Nicodemus invites the Pharisees to investigate Jesus Christ. People love to talk about Jesus Christ all throughout history. He is the most written about individual in the history of humanity. There is no one that comes close. More books, more movies written about and produced about him than anybody else. Hands down. I don't know who's in second place, but I'll tell you this. It is a far distant second place. Everybody loves to talk about Jesus, and everybody has an opinion about Jesus. At lunch today, I would invite you to ask your server today, hey, what do you think about Jesus Christ? It would be a little bit of a weird question to ask, perhaps. It might throw them off. But I want to tell you this, I believe this to be true, that they have an opinion about Jesus Christ. Every person we meet has an opinion about Jesus Christ. We might not agree with that opinion. We might think that their opinion is completely off base. We might believe their opinion and and find that, wow, we are of the same belief here. But everybody has an opinion about Jesus Christ. The Pharisees even had an opinion about Jesus Christ. And so we have this intense encounter. And into that, the Pharisees go to Jesus, and Jesus looks at them and says, I am the light of the world. You thought what was just happening the other day on this first day of the Festival of Tabernacles was a brilliant light. I am here to tell you, I am the light of the world. I am the one that lights up the entirety of the world. And this flame may very well fade, but the, but the, but the fire, the light that I bring, will never go out. This statement that Jesus Christ makes irritates them to no end. You see, when Jesus makes these claims, they're not simply claims, they are real. They are reality. It is who He is. So I ask you this morning, do you know this one who claims to be the light of the world? The one who can light up your life, your dark life. And we'll talk more about that in a few moments. So Christ makes this proclamation, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then verse 13, the Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I come from and I know where I am going, but you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. They challenge Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ comes into this challenge and we experience this, that light once again defeats darkness. Darkness never wins. When light shows up, 
darkness runs. And what's interesting about this encounter is this, is that this is the first time in John's Gospel where the Pharisees actually talk to Jesus rather than about Jesus. Why is this significant? It's significant because of this. If you want to get to know who Jesus is, you need to talk to Jesus rather than about Jesus. Let me go off on just a quick tangent here. One of the things that was impressed upon me over the last few weeks as I've been thinking about this message is this, is how often do we talk about one another rather than to one another? I want you to think about that right now. Are there people in your life that you're talking about rather than to? Because when we go to talk about people, oftentimes it's gossip, it's damaging, and the the cause of Christ is stunted because of it. I know this to be true, that, that when there are any gathering of people, when there's a community of people around, there's a very good chance that people are talking about one another rather than to one another. In your Bibles, flip over a few pages to John chapter 17. And here's a reason why I'm taking a little time to talk about this right now. In John chapter 17, Jesus says this, starting at verse 20. He says this, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will, who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. When we decide to talk about one another rather than to one another, when we have an issue with one another and we talk with other people about that person rather than talking to that person, no unity will happen. In John chapter 17, he is very clear how his kingdom will expand the most effectively, and it's this way. It's when brothers and sisters in Christ talk to one another and look to heal relationships rather than talk about one another and continue to feed the gossip that happens. I'm passionate about this because I see how many lives get hurt and how many lives get ruined because we spend so much time talking about rather than to. The Pharisees continued to live a life that was filled with darkness. Why? Because they talked about Jesus rather than talking to Jesus. You and I have relationships in our life right now that we need to stop talking about the relationships and we need to talk to that person and get things taken care of. Into the darkness of talking about one another, may we allow Jesus Christ to give us the courage to talk to one another and be healed and be reconciled. Nicodemus invites the Pharisees to talk to Jesus. And when they challenge Jesus, their lives change. When they challenge Jesus, all of a sudden they realize 
what's going on here? I wish you could say at the end of this encounter that they have that all the Pharisees say, hey, we're in, let's go. But they don't. When you encounter Jesus Christ, when you decide to talk to Him, something is going to happen, and there's going to be change that happens. And when you and I decide to stop talking about one another and start talking to one another, and what ends up happening is the world sees this and says, wow, look at what Jesus Christ is doing in those relationships. Look at the healing that's taking place. Look at the reconciliation that is taking place. It's a beautiful thing. And then what ends up happening is that they come to understand the grace and the beauty of Jesus Christ. Everybody in here has been hurt by someone saying stuff about them. My prayer for this community of faith continues to be that we will be a community of faith marked by love, grace, forgiveness, and reconciliation so that the cause of Christ can expand rather than be stunted. And as the cause of Christ expands, what ends up happening in our conversation with people that do not know Christ, all of a sudden we get to move the conversation from being about Jesus to talking to Jesus. And presenting Jesus Christ to people that long to hear about him. Needs to happen. And and in case you're concerned about whether or not Jesus can handle these conversations and these confrontations, look what happens in verse 13. It says, you're appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. And notice Jesus does not cower. Jesus has no problem whatsoever with being investigated. Every belief system in this world has an opinion about Jesus Christ. Every single one. You can look at any belief system out there, Hinduism, Islam, you can look at all these different things, all these different belief systems. Every single one has an opinion about Jesus Christ. And as you investigate who Jesus Christ is, you come to see this, that Jesus Christ can handle any investigation possible. Everything that he says is true, and here's why it's true. Because he rose from the dead. Without the resurrection, we can look at these things and say, yeah, Jesus seems to be going off here on a little bit of a tangent. But because of the resurrection... Whatever investigation, whatever challenge you want to throw at Jesus Christ, whatever you want to say, people have to say, wow, He rose from the dead. It validates His proclamation about who He is. It validates what it means when He says, I am the light of the world. The Pharisees came at Him, and Jesus Christ stays true. And Jesus, His testimony exposes our own darkness. Notice what he says to the Pharisees. He says, you judge by human standards, I pass judgment on no one. He's saying, you can continue to judge me how you want to judge me, but I'm here to tell you, I have a different judgment that's going on. Because I see a bigger picture. I see inside your little facade that you have. I see within that, and I see that you do not know what I'm talking about. You do not truly know my Father. You do not truly know me. When you and I go to talk to Jesus, are we willing 
to allow His light to expose the darkness in our lives? Are we willing to sit there and say, you're right, I'm wrong? Are we willing to say, I've made some mistakes, I need, some, I, need, I need you to forgive me, I've made some mistakes in some relationships, I've got a marriage that's sort of struggling right now, and it's because of, of, some, of the, some of the selfish things that I've done. I need you to reach in with your light and expose that darkness, and as you expose that darkness, may healing occur. That's what Jesus does here. The Pharisees were judging him by human appearance and by by human standards. And Jesus is saying, that's not the way I judge. Because look what he says in verse 16. He says, but if I do judge, my my decisions are true because I'm not alone. You you claim that it's really important for me to have two witnesses. And you claim that the, the witness of two human beings is really important. Let me tell you who my second witness is. It's God himself. You want to talk about a powerful testimony? That's my testimony, Pharisees. I've got the Father on my side. I have the Father looking out for me. I have the Father talking through me. This didn't sit well with the Pharisees, by the way. Flip a couple pages back to chapter, John chapter 5, and look what happens here. In John chapter 5, look at verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My Father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Look at verse 18. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was Jesus breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. The Pharisees were not happy campers. They didn't walk into this this confrontation with Jesus Christ thinking, hey, this is going to go really well, we're going to intimidate him, he's going to change his tune. What Jesus does is, he amps it up. And he says, you want my testimony? My testimony is valid. Because my Father is speaking through me. Look what happens in verse 19. They ask him, where is your Father. Again, remember, they're judging by human standards. And Jesus says this, you do not know me or my Father. The Pharisees were stunned. They were stunned, and he says, if you knew me, you would know my Father. We receive God's light, the light of the world, the light of the world that came in and shines far brighter than any of these magnificent candelabras in the temple at that time. This light of the world that that exposes our darkness, we receive that light and here's why. We receive that light because we struggle, we live in darkness, and his testimony exposes that darkness. And as we receive that light, we get to reflect that light in this world. What Jesus is talking about here in verse 19 when they say, who is your father or where is your father? And he says, you do not know me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father. What he's saying is there's a difference between knowing and knowing about. They're not the same. You may very well know a whole lot about Jesus Christ, but do you know him? 
The Pharisees knew all the rules. They knew all the laws. They knew all 613 of the commandments. But did they know God? You may have all types of of head knowledge. You may be able to spout off all types of verses. But do you know the one who claims to be the light of the world? That one who reaches in and changes your life. The one who reaches in and exposes the darkness. To know is always to show. Not that you put on some type of great public display, but what I'm talking about is this. I'm talking about your life should show that you know Jesus Christ. In Exodus chapter 34, listen to what happens here. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with Yahweh. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him, but Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands of Yahweh that Yahweh had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered Yahweh's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites that he had been, what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with Yahweh once again. Moses knew God. And it showed up simply in the radiance of his face. When we come to know Jesus, it should show up in the way we live our lives. To know Him is to show this light to a world. To know Him is to show this world that the one that we follow is far better than anything else out there. To know Him means that we receive the light. And as we receive that light, that light penetrates, and we sang this song from the inside out, it penetrates into those places that we don't want people to know about. And His grace comes in, it floods in there, and says, I love you no matter how much of a wreck you are. You might be struggling with guilt and shame, but I'm here to tell you that I love you no matter what. I'm the light of the world and I'll expose that darkness. And as we receive that light, we then get to reflect that light. In your various encounters that you have with people throughout the week, do they see the light of the world in your life? Do they see this one who offers you forgiveness? Do they see this one who not only offers you forgiveness, but offers them forgiveness, offers them cleansing, offers them new life? offers them joy in the midst of the difficulties. We receive this light in order to reflect the light, and lastly, we reflect that light to a world desperately in need of light. You turn on the news, you turn on talk radio. It doesn't take long before you realize we live in a dark world. We live in a world that continues to spin what it seems to be out of, at an out-of-control pace. And things don't seem to be getting any better.
Jesus Christ speaks into the darkness. And he says, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world that will give you truth. I am the light of the world that will give you peace. I am the light of the world that will give you joy. I am the light of the world that will give you forgiveness. I am the light of the world that this world desperately needs to see. You can be impressed with all these different light shows that were happening at the temple during the Feast of of, of Tabernacles. But I have a light that goes on and on and on. My question to you this morning is this. Have you allowed the light of Jesus Christ to enter into your life in such a way that your relationships are different, that reconciliation is happening, and that you have joy in the midst of no matter how dark your world gets, you have joy knowing that He is with you to carry you through. Do you know about Jesus, the light of the world? Or do you know Jesus, the light of the world? Father, we pray now as we come into this time of remembering what you did for us. Lord, is it possible that right now we need you to turn on the light in our lives? It's so tempting to talk about you. It's so tempting to cover up with what we know about you rather than truly knowing you. So Lord, in the stillness of this time, may you, the light of the world, invade our darkness the darkness of our sin, the darkness of our shame, our guilt, the darkness of fractured relationships. And may your light do the work that needs to be done so that we can shine brightly for you in this dark world. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being the light of being a light that we can follow every single day, every single moment, every single night. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.